Welcome to episode 27 of the Tech Gypsies podcast. I'm Audrey Waters. And I'm Ken Lane. And last week when we were doing our podcast, we were sort of full of anxiety anticipating the presidential debate um, later that day. Um, But I am not feeling quite as anxious today since what we have to look forward to is sort of more football, and both of our teams have lost, and I'm feeling quite just relieved about about having other things to think about. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, the election's still looming heavily overhead, but it's it's nice to have distractions. I've got my ballot. Thankfully, California is one of the places that you can vote early, I rece- and I vote by mail. Um, I filled out my ballot yesterday. I've got it sitting here on the kitchen table, waiting to go down to the to the post office box. So I've done my part. I have not got mine in the mail yet. Um, all right. So let's keep on the, um, the topic of distraction briefly before we spiral downwards into um, technology dystopia um, with a shout out and a congratulation to uh, Bob Dylan. Yeah, he's, uh, he, he won the Nobel Prize. He got a nod. The Nobel Prize for Literature, yeah, which was funny because the evening before um, the news was announced, I had joked with you that um, that it was either going to be Bob Dylan or Ursula K. Le Guin, and that I was stoked either way because that means that for once, one you know, for like the one year, that I don't feel obligated to have to like crack open the work of a of an author who I'm unfamiliar with that I feel pretty confident that I've. I've read just about everything that Ursula Le Guin has written and listened to just about everything that Bob Dylan has recorded. <laughs> yeah. Um I I I agree with it. I'm on I'm on team. That was a good decision and uh he de- he's well deserving. I am on team. Let's fight on the internet about anything other than Trump. And so purposefully trolled some people um this week with um pretending as though somehow I thought thought that this was not deserved. Um, I think that it's an interesting choice. I think that it it shows that the Nobel Prize, the Swedish Academy, who are responsible for the prize for literature, I think it shows um, cracking open what we think of as literature and literary. And um, I'm not sure that I think that necessarily Bob Dylan is the most literary of um of songwriters um but i do think it's important to recognize the 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 work um that that literature isn't simply just a novel right yeah i mean i think it's heavily weighting at least for me uh the impact of those words not necessarily uh them fitting within within a specific mold right a specific genre yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't think Mike Caulfield listens to our podcast, but um, someone could tell Mike that I was just trolling him. Uh-huh. You're so good at that. <laughs> and speaking of trolls, um, speaking of trolls that live under bridges um, and are, or trolls or vampires, I'm not sure which, um, I guess we do have to switch back to 
sort of the more pressing, the more pressing news. It was nice to be able to sort of disagree heartily online about um, Bob Dylan's uh, worthiness of the Nobel Prize, but really, we still feel, as you said, pressing, you know, pressing down on us the sort of impending election. And the news broke yesterday. Um, that Peter Thiel, um, I think one of certainly one of my arch nemeses, um, is doubling down on his support for Donald Trump, despite the last couple of weeks being full of every, pretty much every indication that Donald Trump is wildly unsuited, and in particular, um, I think we're up to eleven women now who've come forward to say that they were groped or assaulted by Donald Trump. Uh, Peter Thiel is doubling down and donating money, his first major donation to the Trump presidential campaign. So so why why do we care? What makes him more dangerous than any of the other people supporting Donald Trump? I mean, why is he more uh, uh, more of a concern than, say, Scott Baio? <laughs> uh, Scott Baio is not a billionaire. Um, I think that Scott Baio is probably a thousandaire, much like Donald Trump. Um, but I, but you know, Peter Thiel is a is a is an incredibly important figure in Silicon Valley. Right, he's an incredibly important um, investor. He's the founder of um, he's the co-founder of PayPal, uh, the online payment company. He's the co-founder of Palantir Technologies, a data analyst company that has investment from the CIA. Uh, Peter Thiel is probably the best known um, for sort of being the voice of Silicon Valley libertarianism. He, I mean, despite getting money from the CIA, right, he purports to be um, anti-government um, anti or anti-big government. Um, he was the first investor in Facebook, and he sits on Facebook's board of directors. He was in the news this week or this year, of course, because he helped bankroll Hulk Hogan's lawsuit against Gawker, which resulted in Gawker declaring bankruptcy. And so... Um, which also provided a model that other people are using as a, as a service to how to, you know, uh, run, e execute assaults on kind of journalists, uh, journalists and the institutions they work for, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's this very, it's a very strange, I mean, I always have a hard time piecing together what exactly libertarianism is about. Cause to me, it just seems sort of like unchecked capitalism. Sometimes libertarians say that they're against government intervention, but sometimes they're, they support it. And it's not always in ways that I find sort of, um, ideologically consistent. So, but here's, here's a person who's used the power of the courts, right, because of his billions, he's used the power of courts in order to shut down free speech and free press by going after Gawker. And in fact, um, Teal's lawyers have threatened to file lawsuits on behalf of Melania Trump, uh, Donald Trump's current wife. Um, and Trump himself is sort of famously litigious, or at least threatens lawsuits all the times he's threatened the New York Times most recently for publishing um, the uh, allegations by women who claim that Trump has groped them. Um, and of course, Thiel has also, uh, several years ago, wrote a piece for the libertarian think tank, the Cato Institute, in which he came out against the 19th Amendment, 
right, the amendment that gave women the right to vote. He said that giving women the franchise um, sort of was, a, was really damaging for, quote, capitalist democracy. So the timing of this is, is horrible. The t- I mean, you know, Trump supporters this week were tweeting the hashtag repeal the 19th after Nate Silver jokingly posted a, mi- a map of what the, what the vote would look like if only men voted. And of course, Trump would, Trump would win in a landslide. I think that there were only a handful of states that were, were blue. The rest of the country, um, if only men voted, were, was red. And so the Trump supporters said repeal the, the, the 19th. And of course, that, I mean, Peter Thiel agrees, agrees with, well, I don't know if Peter Thiel agrees with that, but he certainly thinks that, the, that giving women the right to vote was a, was a mistake. And so here we have a candidate who's sexually assaulted women being supported by a person who thinks, I mean, I guess now, after all of this has decided to double down and support Trump is, um, is really horrifying. It's horrifying for, for women. It's horrifying for people of color. And, you know, I think that he's an active investor in technology, in, in the tech sector. He's an active investor in, in education technology. I'm, I'm working on a story today about this. And to me, that's really troubling when we think about how much investors shape they have a hand in shaping what the tools they look like. And like I said, he sits on the board of Facebook. We've talked about this before, the number of Americans that that's where they get their news. They get their news from Facebook. And Teal's influence, I think, is, is, um, is pretty great. And I think if we don't, you know, we, I think we should, we should be um, active in opposing, opposing his sort of, um, his, misogyny and for I think his sort of anti you know anti-free expression yeah I think I mean I think a lot of people who who love to hate or or battle you on the on the twitters like to you know would would throw this or your fear of this area in, in kind of a uh, a conspiracy theory area it's like oh like there's some grand scheme going on and you know that's anti-women anti all this and it's like n- it's not even conspiracy level. This is like, this is business as usual. And I think equally concerning is whether it's, it's, um, it's Peter Thiel, whether it's Bill Gates or whether it's the Koch brothers, like this is how shit gets influenced. And this guy just happens to be, have his fingers in, you know, Palantir from a surveillance and social. I mean, he's playing multiple sides of the coin. I mean, when you're talking Facebook and Palantir, operating together and having your finger in that pie and as well as the other things he does um i mean that's that's some serious shit and and this is how you know that influences how we do business how we operate how our elections uh sway one way or another um and and actually make things go round well i think that the palantir and facebook connection is really important and i know we have an article that we want to talk about the police's surveillance via social media, but really Palantir Technologies and Facebook are very much in the business of data mining, data extraction, data analysis. Now, we don't think of Facebook as necessarily being a tool, a punitive tool, but very much Palantir. I mean, as you can imagine by a company that's um, whose investors are the CIA, uh, Palantir is very much in the service of sort of mining and extracting data not just from social media, but from all, all the sort of data, the, the data trails that we leave behind and and using this for 
um, you know, f- for intelli- quote, quote unquote, sort of intelligence work, whether it's quote unquote business intelligence or, you know, national security intelligence. Uh, this is very much part of a much larger narrative that I think Peter Thiel is absolutely, completely um, committed to, which is um, we need to extract as much data as possible. We need to create honeypots even to, for where people sort of give over their data. And that this is going to be the stuff that fuels artificial intelligence and sort of a decision-making, algorithmic decision-making. Um, and so, uh, you know, Peter Thiel is part of these large... I mean, it isn't sort of that he has these sort of nefarious beliefs um, or, or strange beliefs, you know, he's, he's funded a lot of anti-aging research, for example. He's, uh, he gets blood transfusions from young people. Um, he has weird beliefs. He's, you know, he's really vocal about education stuff. He's, you know, he really was one of the first folks within Silicon Valley to push the argument that college is, college is too expensive and that people shouldn't go to college. And, of course, he has the Thiel Fellowship where he pays he pays these sort of um, almost entirely white men to drop out of to drop out of school, um, and in order to work on their research, research that that Thiel I think finds both ideologically and potentially financially quite appealing. So, um, but Thiel is definitely, despite a lot of folks saying, oh, you know, Peter Thiel is sort of like this ab- like um, aberration. He's not. I mean, a lot of what he does is absolutely 100% aligned with core ideologies within Silicon Valley. Now, does Silicon Valley as a whole tend to vote for Trump? No, I don't think so. But there's a lot of things that are aligned that I think we should, you know, this is much more, we have to be much more kind of nuanced and complicate things much more than, you know, are you, do you vote D or do you vote R? Yeah, I mean, he, he for me, he he represents a, a really, um, I mean, from an API vantage point, some uh, how how you gather data. I mean, Palantir is basically the the gathering of data, and sure, APIs are probably only just a sliver uh, uh, or a portion of that. You know, gra- gathering it from the, the the network itself or scraping the open web. I mean, they they acquired one of my favorite. Um, uh, Kimono Labs that was doing scraping as a service and they just went away because they got acquired. They shut them down immediately. And so they're very much in the business of, you know, being a vacuum that sucks up the web and then makes it available um, for, you know, CIA level, NSA level cyber intelligence to to make sense of it all. But then also he's got his finger, in, you know, in, in the face, he's on the Facebook board. So he's helping set that tone for for I guess you know how you how you build the biggest honey pot um, to 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 attract people and get people putting their photos and wall messages and everything, um, which you know Facebook has an API. Facebook sets the tone for how Instagram's API and all of it operates, which you know sets the bar also and has an influence on how Twitter operates as well. You know the demands of the surveillance state on these uh, platforms um, all are gonna come into harmony based upon what the beast wants and what the beast demands. And there was a story along this lines this week where uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter were providing data via the API to a third-party provider called Geofedia that was basically selling services to uh, police uh, 
the police to be able to surveil their neighborhoods, um, pull in Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram data of known criminals, gangs, people in, in certain areas um, with a very racially profiled bent. And, and so that's all the, the harvesting, the hoovering and vacuuming up. But the other API important story is, and it overlaps with another story we're talking about, is, is the shit that gets put out there. I mean, APIs are how you broadcast messages on Facebook, on Twitter, into these channels that get put in front of people. And this is how the conspiracy theories, the bullshit... Um, gets spread on the internet and he's got his fingers in, you know it's like playing the stock market you can play you know you can play the market going up you can play it going down he's operating on both sides yeah it's I mean I I uh, you know I mean part of my background in in you know in folklore I'm I'm really interested in the idea of conspiracy theories like I'm fascinated by what I would call or I think previously we would have called sort of folk beliefs right so if you and like this is this is far too simplified, but we sort of think of folk beliefs versus, say, science, right? Do you believe in sort of the scientific method that shows, that demonstrates, for example, um, a medication that, that would um, fix a sore throat, or do you believe in the folk remedies, right? Do you believe in sort of these other things that have not been scientifically proven, but Perhaps you have anecdotal evidence, or 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 even, or perhaps not. So there's this sort of. So for me, like I'm I'm really interested in conspiracy theories because I think that conspiracy theories are sort of today's or a sort of a contemporary folk belief, and that there's no amount of fact and there's no amount of evidence that can sort of disprove conspiracy theories because they don't actually operate in the realm of science. They operate at this other sort of level. And it is really interesting to me um, that, you know, Trump in particular, although not it's not just Trump, but Trump in particular has become so masterful in sort of latching on and giving voice to people who readily believe conspiracy theories. I mean, Trump has stated these things on the campaign trail that are verifiably not true, right? Um, One of the famous ones was that that he he saw people celebrating the destruction of the the, uh, Twin Towers on 9-11. No, there's like... I mean, there's just not, there's not any evidence that such a thing occurred, let alone that, um, that there were sort of Muslims gathered in, in New Jersey cheering, cheering for those buildings collapse. Um, but he's sort of given voice to, given voice to these conspiracy theories. And I think Facebook has really, um, Twitter as well, but, uh, and the internet, I suppose, you know, in, in general, has really magnified conspiracy theories. And I'm fascinated. I see folks post things on, on Facebook in particular. And I, I go to Google and sort of see, like, where did you get this information? I consider myself pretty well informed. And sometimes these are the first time that I've ever heard of certain claims about um, Hillary Clinton often. And there's sort of these vast networks of sort of more information is actually leading to people to be sort of less informed. Um, and conspiracy theories are sort of rampant. And, and Facebook, Facebook doesn't seem to ha- do any, anything to sort of dampen down factually incorrect news. I and mean, we've talked about this before with its trending, the, the trending topics on Facebook that 
um, once they got rid of the human editors, who, who were, I think, nixing things, that Facebook really seems to perpetuate like untrue memes. Um, just this week, actually, I think Google started to put and it, on its Google News page, mark items as having been fact-checked, because I think that we ha- are really facing a crisis, a crisis over sort of an unwillingness to sort of even accept verified, like verified information. It's a, it's this, it's a really um, fascinating and frightening um, cultural moment where we've decided, as a like large swath of us excited when I say we, we decided that experts are not believable. We've decided that the media is not believable. We've decided that facts are not factual. I mean, you, you, you saw something on your Facebook page the other day that somehow that the fact checkers, that the fact checkers are actually part of a conspiracy. Yeah. I mean, I think Trump's the poster child of this algorithmic um, I don't know. I, I think it's a perfect storm of convergence between surveillance state and like that the the Googleification, the advertising eyeball clicks, um, clickification of you know monetization that that the webs become. It's like if if you can keep feeding people information, feeding these you know these false stories, these crazy and create all these swirls around these conspiracy theories, you're generating clicks, you're generating revenue, you're generating data, you're getting people's most intimate thoughts because they're sharing these things, they're, they're talking about it, and, and they're getting all worked up. And he's heavily invested in, in both sides of that coin. Yeah, I mean, there was a uh, story on, on NPR this week about the number of Americans that believe in conspiracy theories, too. Like, it's not actually just a small fraction um, that you know, twenty percent of Americans believe that the U.S. was behind nine eleven. Twenty percent, and eleven percent of people. This was a survey done by the University of Chicago. Eleven percent of Americans believe that the government is mandating we switch to compact fluorescent lights because these light bulbs make it easier to control people. Wow. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I think back to 1990 and, like, my concerns around, you know, I mean, I guess then we had cable TV coming out. But, like, you know, 70s and 80s being worried about, you know, you only have a certain amount of channels or outlets. You had NBC, ABC, CBS, and you had a handful. And the the man controlled those channels. And we got one homogenized view of the world that made it through those those editorial and filters. And that was hugely concerning. But now all of a sudden I'm like, fuck, I would go back to that in a heartbeat over well, this fucking insanity. Well, which, is what's re- which, I, which is what I find is really, really interesting is that, you know, just bring this back around to Peter Thiel too, is that you know, the the breakthroughs that we've seen and the revelations that we've seen in this campaign, particularly in the last month or so, um, comes from print journalists. Not the, new, not the television news is still an utter shit show, right? Like the television news, CNN is a disaster. Fox, but print, MS, NBC, but print media, right? The LA Times, the New York Times, the Washington Post... Newsweek, traditional print media has done a really great job doing their job as investigative journalists, right? We have the work of Kurt, uh, now I can't think of his last name, the guy who's been doing all the work on the Trump Foundation at the Washington Post. Um, the folks at the at the New York Times, you know, they, they got a letter in their mailbox um, about Trump's 
old tax records. Remember, remember that? Remember the whole, like, this is sort of, you know, these are traditionally print journalists, print organizations, print news organizations. And of course, what has the drumbeat been for the last decade in Silicon Valley is that the media needs to be disrupted, that print is dead, and that we need to get rid of these old, irrelevant news news sources and replace them with multimedia, venture-backed, venture capitalist-funded outlets. And I think that, you know, and that we also, that we also see Thiel wanting to sue and shut down journalistic entities. Thiel and, and Trump go after and, and sue and force into bankruptcy these, these entities is, I think, a sort of a this really interesting confluence. But it's a reminder of how important, I think, journalism is. But it's also a reminder of how, when we say the media broadly, and then we include in that the television media, then damn, I mean, it is like the, they, the, the journalism has sort of, has dropped the ball, making, you know, the journalism has really done a lot of puffery. And on one hand, sort of handed us, you know, NBC has sort of handed us Trump. They created him. Well, and that's 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 the kind of all the points coming together. Why he's such a the embodiment of, of the dangers of this, and Trump is, I think, represents the the results of this. I mean, when you have he's losing the educated vote, which shows the importance of hey, we need to be investing in education. Something Peter Thiel is is directly attacking. What you just said about you know the journalists doing the hard work, we need to figure out how to invest in that. Not saying that all educational institutions or all news outlets are credible and, and worthy of investment. We should have that discussion too, but that these are areas we need to. And then when you couple that with his libertarian stance that's you know, anti-government, unless I have a contract with that agency, then, you know, I mean, this is one of the, the hypocrisies of the, the cons- Republican Party and Democrats, honestly, is, is um, but more, more importantly on the, on the Republicans and then the Libertarian that's really anti-government, anti-big government, is that, you know, government needs to be, you know, shrunk down to the size that you can drown out in the bathtub, unless it's the ones that got, have my very lucrative military or CIA or data contracts with, we need to keep those heavily funded. And so the hypocrisy there of anti-institution, unless it, you know, educational and, and news, unless, and government, unless it's, you know, I have contracts with any of these people and, and I'm making money, then it's okay. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, to come back to that, the story that you were talking about earlier about um, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter handing over data to local law enforcement, specifically to surveil and target Black Lives Matter activists. I mean, I think that this is sort of like, you know, we often talk about government at the at the federal level, but we can sort of still see that same sort of creeping authoritarianism, right? Surveillance state happening at the local level as well. I mean, and it's worth pointing out that this company, Geophedia, um, sells its tools to schools, right? This is, this is a surveillance tool that schools buy as well as cops buy. And it's Im- always important to remember when we think about, you know, when we think about, again, what, is that, what are the ideological underpinnings of these technologies? What are the things that Peter Thiel is investing in in an education technology? What do we, what do we know about Thiel's sort of larger politics? And then what can we say about the, t- the, the technologies that he's investing in that sort of also coincide with the support for data, for data analysis as a tool of surveillance and control? And he's, you know, and 
uh, Teal is invested in Newton, right? The learning analytics company Newton. He's invested in Alt School, a private school that is really based on surveilling students um, all the time. Every every word that is uttered is recorded. They're videotaped, audio recorded, and of course everything they do on computers is completely recorded. Um, and Clever, a startup that, um, you know, in your wheelhouse, a startup that's supposed to make sort of APIs so that data can move more seamlessly from the apps that teachers use to the student information system. So this is very much all about greasing the wheel for more data, more analysis, and I would argue, you know, the pigeonification, the pigeonification of people. Yeah, I mean, this is all the all the the API shit that just scares the hell out of me. I mean, in investing in all the 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 bad side of of what APIs can do as far as monitoring, extracting information, surveillance state, um, privacy, security violations, all of this, and investing in this not being. Uh, I mean, my biggest concern with all of this is that all of this happens behind closed doors and all I'm trying to do with APIs is is fight that that it comes out of the shadows as much as possible and we give people access to their own data um, are, are in charge of data portability are aware of what's being stored on them who has access to that and there's mechanisms for doing this there's you know OAuth isn't great but um, OAuth is what you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Google, all these providers use and have done right. It can give users access to their data to move it, to delete it, to um, understand it, as well as offer it up to third parties. And this is what police should be doing. Police should be getting a fucking warrant to access your data. Police, um, a, a, a law enforcement at all levels should be getting a, a, a warrant. And then at some point, this should show up in your Facebook profile or Twitter profile. I know people think I'm crazy, but at some point, the law should say you should be notified that someone was looking at your data. Not these companies paying people like Peter Thiel and Palantir to just like wholesale get access to all of the citizens in the U.S., all of your data, and then none of us be you know um, told that this is happening. Um, I I do think that Facebook and Twitter both announced that they were severing ties with Geofedia after the ACLU's report. Um, but of course, this the you know then along comes just the Geofedia competitor that does the very. The oh very yeah, there's thing. there's 150 more of them in there ready, you know, lining up to take the model. And I, I would assume that you know the Geofedia owners can can switch gears and go to it, you know, um, it's, it's, we, we need a, a standardized way to have the discussion across providers out in the open and, and have tools for auditing, you know, third parties journal, you know, back to, you know, re reinforcing academic institutions and news, uh, institutions is they should have, some, there should be some sort of API level access that they can get in there and see, um, what queries law enforcement are running, you know, which agencies running it. Agent, you know, law enforcement agencies should have to get their own fucking app and API key so that there's a unique identifier for every fucking search they run, every user account that they look at. And then there should be this kind of buffer layer where researchers and journalists get access and government should get access to see what's going on here. That's The tools are out there. We can do it. The problem is, is there's too much money to be made from people like Peter Thiel in, in selling these services wholesale to the government. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that it's, you know, I mean, and I think that to me, this is why the Peter Thiel story in particular sort of raises to the, like, it's not simply when, you, you know, your first question was, why is Thiel different than any of the other folks who are backing, you know, why is Peter Thiel's invest or support for Donald Trump different than, say, the WWE, right, or the WWF, um, Linda McMahon, right? Um, what, what makes a difference? And as, as I, I think that it is this idea that we are we are increasingly seeing all of our lives be sort of subjected to the sort of data data collection, data analysis. We're seeing more and more of the everyday tools that we use that we never would have thought of before as being data generating because they're becoming internet connected. Suddenly, suddenly, it's not just a matter of your neighbor narking on you or the postman narking on you or it's not even like the trail that you leave behind with your google searches or your or your facebook updates right the 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 the, the almost every sort of um uh, appliance in your house every object in your house once it's internet connected is also this data collection tool of course i mean i think that's a really dystopian like i'm painting a dystopian picture there and of course the reality is is that it's actually um nowhere near as competent or efficient at that one of the stories that we were going to talk about um was it's just a little one-off story but to me it's pretty indicative was a story in the in the guardian that um a guy spent like a whole day like 11 hours trying to get his internet connected teapot to boil water. Well, and these, I mean, this whole Internet of Things layer, I mean, what you just talked about is like all of these devices are being turned on to narc on us. I mean, these, all these, there's the one reason all of these devices are being connected to the Internet is to create a new data point. So A, someone can track what's going on and B, someone can make some money off of it. That's the only fucking reason. They don't care about you making your cup of tea. They care about knowing when you make your tea, how much you make, all of that so that they can sell you products and do things with you. But then there's this whole other fucked layer. We talked about that last week about um, the denial of service attack on Krebs on security was all home-based, consumer-based, small business-based security cameras printers, routers, and these Internet of Things devices that are being connected to the Internet and not providing much security. So not only are they uh, spying on you and potentially narking on you, they're providing bandwidth on your Internet connection to shut down and shutter free speech of people they disagree with. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, we had a couple of other things that we didn't touch upon, but... um... We've, we've sort of hit the thirty-minute mark. Is it worth is it worth updating briefly on these two drone ideas? <laughs> sure. I mean, we can go as long as we want. But uh, um, basically, I mean, talking about devices setting uh, a real bad uh, precedent. I mean, I think drones for me are the area. Um, drones are like Donald Trump and Peter Thiel represent are the in the dictionary these issues around. You know, dumbing down of culture, attack on intellectualism, attack on institutions, libertarianism, all this shit. Drones are the poster child for like all of technology for me and like how it plays out. Fast expanding, all this investment, money pouring into drones, all these amazing things you can supposedly do with it. But like the worst and, and most badly behaved among us are setting the tone. In this one story you had shared with me was on um, Uber's ad-toting drones are heckling drivers stuck in traffic. And basically in, um, in La- across Latin America, 
Uber is flying these drones, and the picture shows them holding these fucking signs in front of the your window as you're sitting in traffic saying you should fucking use Uber. And um and so drones being this kind of representation of over-promising what technology can do, using technology to, to behave the worst you could possibly behave in, in public. Um, and the other story that... Well, I just want to make a comment about this. I mean, back to, you know, back to the sort of libertarian vision, right? And the, the CEO of, of Uber is, again, another very well-known libertarian, right? And very much the notion, the whole idea of Uber is about a libertarian disruption of city-sponsored and city, the, sort of the, the city-sanctioned taxi drivers. So this is very much a disrupt, disrupt if not a public entity, then the government's control over the licensing of, of, of um, and the medallions for, for taxi cabs. Um, but also, this is not in the service, right? These, these drones are not saying... Do you do you, is it, isn't it annoying to be stuck in traffic? Have you considered taking the bus? Right? They're not saying invest in public infrastructure. They're not saying maybe what we need instead of everyone sitting in their individual cars on the freeway is maybe we should you know maybe we should pay a little bit more in taxes and get a monorail line. Right? This is this is very much a like this isn't just sort of badly behaved drone operators. This again is in the service, the messaging, the act and the messaging is in the service of this libertarian vision um, around sort of the mar mar markets and money, but a dismantling of public infrastructure, a dismantling of the public good. Well, and, and I wrote a story this week about this is how regulatory beasts are created and pointing the finger at drones, but Uber is a good kind of precursor to that, is like capitalists, badly behaved capitalists trying to get around existing industries, existing regulations, disrupt, behaving very badly. And then when new areas come along like drones, they behave very badly. The worst uh, uh, out of the industry are setting the tone and then... Rather than rein it in and do sensible things with your drones and have sensible conversations about what this technology can do, you're doing all this, and then regulation comes in and says, clamps down, does, you know, puts in all these laws, and then that really fits perfectly into their narrative about how, you know, government kills business and all of this. So it's, it's just like this really fucked up cycle that, that we, we, we seem to invest in. Uh, but again... You know, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, as the self-proclaimed or described by others more aptly, uh, Cassandra of EdTech, I, you know, I do sort of lean towards the sort of doom-filled prophesying of what, what's going to happen if we embrace this particular future. But like I said, with the Wi-Fi connected kettle, like I, we could also say that none of these people are actually remotely smart enough to pull off this future that they're, that they're predicting. Um, and drones are supposed to be the sort of future of delivery. And like you and I were joking about this the other night when we were walking, like, how does that even work? Like, how does delivery even work? Like, I can't even imagine, like, ordering something from Amazon and then having a drone deliver it. I mean, the Amazon delivery person here won't even walk it up the steps to put it on our door. They leave it down by the mailbox at the, at where, you know, anyone can sort of pick it up and grab it and run off. Like, what's going to happen with a drone delivery? And then, of course, you showed me this great news story that supposedly Chipotle was delivering burritos by drone. 
Except not really. It was all it was all kind of staged, and you actually had to like go to the staging area via bus, and and you know, the, and it was just basically a photo op around this. And I I think what is Google... it doesn't deliver to you. You have to yeah, you have to go to like it's not like Chipotle delivers the taco via drone to you. You have to go, you have to go like. This person in the story went four hours away. You have to, you have to go. You have to deliver your own ass to the place in which the drone then rendezvous yeah. with you. And I mean, I think this just, you know, a further extension of of what's wrong with technology, but specifically drones being a poster child is like the overpromising of what technology is going to do to try to like captivate you, get you interested in paying attention and right. click to to the spectacle and not paying attention to other things. And you know, I'm using I'm exploring this area on my design fiction is, you know, talking about services that'll pop up around, you know, the Uber for come get shit off my roof because um my Chipotle burrito or my pizzas on top of my roof of my three bedroom apartment and I can't get it come with a ladder, you know, so it'll open up new business opportunities is what I'm predicting. <laughs> it always does. Unless you give women the right to vote. And then in the words of Peter Thiel, it spells the end of capitalist democracy. And God, I hope so. Right. I hope so. I hope that women and people of color absolutely stand in opposition and shut his shit down. <laughs>